So in our first reading today from Luke, we heard about a people called the Sadducees. Now, who were they? We hear them a couple of times mentioned along with the Pharisees, but in fact, they couldn't be more different. The Pharisees had no political ambitions. They, they kept away from the Romans, but the Sadducees were part of the governing body. They mingled with the Romans and they tried to keep everything just as they'd liked it, just how it had been for years before. The Pharisees believed in the scripture of the Old Testament, but also believed in all the extra rules that they added on, those rules that we heard Jesus talk to them about at various other times. But the Sadducees just believed in simply the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible, the books that Moses wrote. So that means that the Pharisees, they believed in in fate and in God-ordered lives, but the Sadducees believed in unrestricted free will. The Pharisees believed that the Messiah was coming, but the Sadducees did not. That would have been an inconvenience to their ordered lives. The Pharisees believed in resurrection, angels and spirits. But the Sadducees didn't believe in any of these. And this is the key topic for this morning. The Sadducees didn't believe in resurrection. And so they come to Jesus with this question about the seven brothers and their wife. That the wife had married the first brother and then the brother had died. And so that by the Old Testament law, then that wife was to marry one of the other brothers. And when that brother died, she'd marry another brother until she had married all seven. So they asked Jesus, what happens then when they get to heaven? She has seven husbands. Which one of them becomes her husband in heaven? They think they've really got Jesus cornered here. They think they've got him completely stuck. There's no way they can get out of this one. Jesus is close to his death here, though. He's in Jerusalem. He knows what's coming. And because he knows what's about to happen, he needs to prepare these people and others for it. And he doesn't use his own terms in his response. He doesn't use his own thoughts and ways, but rather in his response, as Jesus so wonderfully always does, he talks to them in their own language and he uses those five books that they're so sure on, that they base their belief on to disprove their own theory. He says that if God is the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob, then as it says in Exodus, when the voice comes from the burning bush, then resurrection must exist because otherwise how would God be a God of the dead? They must still be alive somewhere. So he uses this opportunity to address that key issue. Things in heaven will be different to things on earth. It sounds obvious. But relationships will be different. Particularly marriage will be different. We hear in the marriage vows, we say, till death do us part. And we've heard those words, and a lot of you may have said those words, but do we really take on board what that means? You're joined for life, for all life. 
but not after. Maybe we talk about a man who has had his wife die and when that man then dies we say it's good he's gone to be with his wife. He's gone to be joined again with his wife as husband and wife. But that's wrong. It doesn't say that anywhere in the Bible. It sounds like I'm being harsh there but you know, why would I say that husband and wife are not together in heaven? Why would they not be reunited in that love? Why would they not still have that union with each other? It's because they will be united with someone far, far greater. The love they felt for each other will still be there, but there will be a new love, a greater love that will make that love as a grain of sand is to a beach. When they die, they, you, are adopted into a new love. As Jesus says here, they are like angels and are, they are sons of God. When we experience the power of that love in person, all else will pale into insignificance. And as in the book of Revelation, the whole of creation will bow down before the throne of God and worship him saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come, singing a never-ending song of praise to the one who is worthy of our praise. That's why there's no marriage in heaven, because we are in the presence of the Lord. So things in heaven are different to things on earth. And then we see that Jesus uses the Sadducees' own source to prove his own point. That resurrection exists. But what does the idea of resurrection say to us? One of the clear messages that comes through is that things must get worse before they can get better. Death comes before new life. Just before this reading in Luke, we can see more evidence of things that have to get worse before they can get better. We see when Jesus enters Jerusalem, he weeps over Jerusalem. But we know that there are happier times to come. Jesus cleanses the temple, turns over the money changers' tables, showing that the cleansing must happen first, that the bad times must come before we get to the good times. And we see the parable of the wicked tenants, where we see the landowner sending his servants and sending his son to try and collect the rent. But they are killed. Death comes first before new life. And also we see it in stories just after this. In the destruction of the temple that Jesus foretells. In the foretelling of wars and persecution. And the destruction of Jerusalem as a whole. They all point to things getting worse before they can get better. And that really reminds me of something a friend once told me about anacondas. They're not a poisonous snake, but rather they, they trap you by wrapping around you. And they slowly swallow you. When that's happening, things are definitely getting a lot worse. But the way to survive is to get your knife out and keep it by your side. And wait until that moment when the jaws are coming up over you and things pretty much can't get any worse. 
And then you can stick your knife through, rip it up his back, and you're saved. You're fine. Things in that example certainly have to get a lot worse before they can ultimately get better. But this was something that was definitely true for the early church as well. Jesus knew what was to come for his early followers. If they thought that after Christ's coming, that all would be good, that they would be in this new land already, thinking of the prophecy of Zechariah, then they were to be sorely mistaken. So many of the early Christians, of the apostles, of the followers of Christ, came to horrible ends at the hands of the Romans and other people. Andrew, brother of Peter, was crucified in Edessa. James, the great older brother of John, beheaded in Judea in AD 44. Jude, brother of James, crucified in 72 AD. Luke hanged on an olive tree in Greece. Mark was dragged to death in Alexandria. Matthew was killed in Nadaba in AD 60. Paul was beheaded with a sword in Rome. Peter was crucified head down in Rome. Philip was scourged, imprisoned, and then crucified in 54 AD. Simon was crucified in 74 AD. Stephen was stoned to death in 34 AD. And Thomas was killed with a spear in India. Beloved, we have it easy. Sometimes I wonder if that means that perhaps we're not truly professing the word we know. A word which got people to sit up and take notice. A word that got people run out of town, imprisoned and killed in those early years. As we remember so many others today, I think we really need to remember our fallen Christian brothers and the example they set in that early church. In Corinthians, the reading we had from Corinthians 15, we can see that same message coming out about things having to get worse before they can get better. I'd love to go into this text in more detail. It's one of my favourites. But it says very similar things to our gospel reading today. Paul is talking to the Corinthians, a people who have started to change the word that he gave them. They've started to teach that resurrection does not happen. And Paul's response is his usual, unstoppable, flawless logic. But at the end, he makes that same point. Things must get worse before they can get better for us. And things have got worse. Because as he says, in Adam, in sin, we all die. But he makes sure we know that that's only half the story. Things get better. A lot better. Because in Adam we all die, but in Christ we all live. We must die before we can live. Why is this important for us today? If bad things are happening to us on earth, especially today when we remember the awful things that happened in so many great wars, the people that lost their lives, 
It's all part of the world we entered into when Adam brought sin into being. Even if bad things happen all our life here, and we see a never-ending chain of desperation and futility, know that things get worse before they get better. Remember that at the start I said that things in heaven are different to things in earth. Because if we're in Christ, if we give ourselves to him, if we dedicate our lives to our Lord, we shall be made alive. We shall be given a new life, a never-ending life, a life to live by his grace and for his glory. Amen.